Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football right at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates, stats, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and the Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you the access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember, use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by BetOnline, where the game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out the latest Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise now. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. State IPA is available now at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get state IPA. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. All right. Welcome into the State of State podcast. Your recap after the Penn State whiteout win over the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm Zach Kaplan, guest hosting tonight for Tom Hannafin, joined by Justin King. The Indy Lions improved to 4-0 on the season, a dominant 31-0 win. Justin, it just, just, you know, from the minute that game started, felt so good the vibes were up and they uh they really made their presence felt it's never really a game i felt nervous about and uh just a dominant win tonight by penn state no even in the rain it was just like you said a dominating performance especially on defense and then not, not even allowing 100 yards from iowa's offense is pretty impressive in today's age of college sports um i mean we've seen the defense clicking on all cylinders but especially on the offense no turnovers from uh from drew Obviously, a surgical performance by himself, um, establishing a run. Even with Iowa's defense playing the way they did, I feel like they played a sound had sound game plan. I feel like they played pretty um, efficient defense, and still 31-0 is a, is a good W for Penn State. Yeah, they really dominated this one throughout. We'll kind of go through it a little chronologically and give you the stats here in a moment. But it was just so satisfying, and I think – just kind of off the off the top of the bat, like for so many Penn State fans, that game uh, in 2019 was just kind of heartbreaking. Or I'm sorry, not 20 2021 rather. It's just heartbreaking. Just Clifford gets hurt. All the booing of injured players. You know, PJ Mustafer, you lose in that game. It was bad enough to lose the game, 
two years ago. And then you also lost important contributors in that game. So I just felt like, you know, Justin, I don't know if you agree, just to get him back, just to, you know, have him on a big spot, national TV, and they just look poised and they just really had almost a perfect game. Uh, it felt like for much of that, much of the entire night. No, it did. I mean, like, even when, like I said, they bring in the rain, I thought that I had a little concern yeah. if that would be like a neutralizing factor with the skill positions on the outside and just playing into Iowa's strengths as a, just a, a team identity. But for the way that the way that Penn State handled it, it was like, again, another gritty win, but a 31-0 shutout causing turnovers. I, I was really impressed by the first first quarter turnover. Um, Dennis Denai Sutton. Uh, from a, a hustle play behind, just finishing up a play from Jalen Reed, hitting him at the at the legs and him coming in with just good team pursuit. Like the fundamentals of football really are helping propel them to W's. And that's something that continues to last and travels with you when you even go on the road and the type of football that they're playing. So it's, a, it's really ex exciting to see uh, just the level of effort that they're playing with. And especially, like I said, you still seeing the distribution from Drew in the backfield, having both running backs getting close to 20 carries. I think Keishon was at 21 and uh, Nick was at 17 uh, against a, a strong, very respected defense. I mean, a top tier defense in Iowa. So not to say that, you know, they didn't get 100 yards e either. I mean, as a as Russian as as a Russian attack, but still pretty efficient in handling the ground game because when it looks at the time of possession. I mean, they probably tripled. <laughs> Iowa in yeah. play in plays. Yeah, they did. Uh 45 27, 45 minutes for Penn State and uh under 15 for Iowa. Oh wow. I don't think I've ever can you think of a I can't even think of a game I've seen a discrepancy like that in a long time. No, and I, I mean that's the that's two things, right? Being able to run the ball and control the line of scrimmage and continue to move the chains. I think there was just a few times where there were some drops at the beginning with some swing passes trying to activate um getting in the rhythm. Uh, I thought Mike Yersich did a very good job at the beginning of the game, keeping uh, Drew with within himself, right? Like a, a high emotions of the wideout, but giving them easy passes to complete and keep the chains moving. And um, like you said, getting the tight ends involved, I thought it had been a tremendous thing. Khalil Dinkins with his first career touchdown, so shout out to him. But And Tyler Warren with two of them. But that's another thing that I think loosened up that – the defense and how they operated on offense. Yeah, it was really impressive from there. And let's go through uh, some of the numbers real quick. Don't want to bore you too much, but um, Penn State on defense, they hold Iowa to 56 passing yards. And in, in college, I know they count the sacks um, for rushing yards, but 17 attempts for 20 rushing yards. That was it. That was it from Iowa. They only notched 76 total yards in this game to 397 for Penn State. Uh, on the passing side of the ball, Drew Aller goes 25 of 37 for a buck 66 and four touchdowns through the air. Uh, but Prabula comes in uh, with another 16 passing yards. And then on the ground, like you kind of said it, 57 carries for 215 yards. Again, that does count sacks and, and QB runs. Uh, they average 3.8 yards a carry, like you said, against a you know, stout run defense. For Iowa, a highly regarded defense coming in that Penn State puts up 31 points on. Keandre Lambert-Smith leads in receiving with uh, eight catches, 66 yards, and a tutty. 
And then Theo Johnson with six catches for 42. And, uh, you know, Liam, Liam Clifford and Catron Allen, the other multi-catch guys, along with Tyler Warren. How about efficiency? Two catches, nine yards, two touchdowns. That's how it's done. <laughs> and then Dinkins, like you mentioned, with a nine-yard touchdown catch. Uh, they got nine different receivers involved tonight. Got two quarterbacks in there. And like I said, 397 total yards. And I didn't even think about it. I didn't even have it in my notes. 45 minutes of possession. 45 minutes. I just, I mean, they literally, I literally the ball for less than a quarter of the game. I just, I really am amazed by the way that they were able to control it on the ground. I'd, I I mean, I'm sure you agree, Justin. Like, I did not think they'd be able to, but credit to this Penn State O-line. It's like, we've been hearing about it for years where the O-line, like, oh, you know, this is the one that's, you know, going to be really good and empowers them. And, you know, you kind of get to game six and there's a couple guys out and they don't look good. But this unit has been incredible. Like, what have you made of the O-line so far and the way they've, truly lived up to the hype. I mean, you, it, it felt like a wrestling match when you watched tonight, right? Where you're just like, it's like rolling over. It was like, and then eventually you pinned them and kind of had them tap out throughout the game. And that's what you get in a credit to having a front, a strong um, offensive line group and being committed to running the ball and having that uh, physical imposing nature over your opponent. I think that's what we were able to see tonight, given uh, Drew the time to, make the throws that he needed to make, and, again, establishing a run game, like I said, about four yards of carry, running the ball 57 times, the time of possession, all those different things, just beating up Iowa up front. I think that's a part of Penn State's identity, even as explosive as they can be at times, having a big arm quarterback and different things that fall into that that type of um, makeup of a team. But having a dominating and explosive defense, an opportunistic defense with a front uh, offensive line that's efficient and can last uh, through a, a rainy game with Iowa. I, I mean, it's a it's a nice makeup of a football team moving forward. And the big number I, I left out, zero sacks. Iowa was zero sacks of uh, either quarterback tonight. And they made a joke on the broadcast, I want to say in the third quarter, that it was like the first time they'd seen his uniform get dirty in a rain game. I was like <laughs> kind of amazed by that, man. That was crazy. No, for sure. All right, well, let's. Um, I'm just going to dive into some of my notes here. We can kind of just go chronologically through the game. I got to start with the beginning. Uh, I got to say, like, we've been so used to Fowler Herb Street on the call, ABC 7:30 kick. So it's kind of cool, a little different to have CBS do it. That pregame video they did, I might watch that thing like seven times this week. Uh, they had Steve Jones in there. They did like the whiteout thing, like that was like. I was literally, uh, you know, I work at a news station out here in Montana. I was like doing laps around the newsroom after that. I was, I, I really liked the presentation tonight, and it was cool, a little different of CBS uh, do the game. You have any thoughts on that, or keep going? Not, not too much. I mean, I, I didn't get a chance to see it um, in depth before the game, but it's really cool to see what the whiteout experience has turned into for college football. I mean, even in the rain, them they still had a attendance of one hundred and ten thousand eight hundred and thirty. Other people at a at a football game, and they stayed all the way until the end. So, like, shout outs to the Penn State fans for that. But it, it's it's an amazing spectacle in college sports. I mean, Drew Aller said at the end of the game, not in just college sports, but in sports in general. And I, that's really cool that it's something that's housed at, at Penn State, and to have this type of win in that game. Obviously, I mean, I think that we we were all expecting Penn State to come out with the victory, but a sound physical um 310 shutout is impressive it really is i'm 
spoiled my first ever white. That was that 2016 game with the Buckeyes where Grant Haley blocks the kick, brings it back. I just thought they'd be like that every year. That was my first <laughs> one I attended in person. And man, I'm never going to live that down the rest of my life. No, I don't think so. That, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's epic type stuff there. <laughs> it's, it was amazing. All right. Let's dive into the nitty gritty uh, as I go down memory lane. But uh, first of all, we got to talk about, you know, just that first drive with Penn State. They're playing with fire a little bit. Iowa kind of pins them inside their own five yard line. They're like trying to get out of it early. And, uh, and they did a good job of just not giving up a safety, not doing negative plays there early in that game. That first drive was a little unnerving for me. Penn State had on offense. I mean, yeah, it, it's a lot of uh, emotions coming out again with the whiteout and just getting under control, getting the tempo of your offense, what you want to do. And kudos to Iowa. They came out and they were making plays. A couple swing passes were very, like you said, very scary at the beginning where it's like I was going to be like a safety. <laughs> it looked like a couple times. But, um, you know, we just had, I mean, even at the beginning, there was a, I don't know when that fumble happened with Caden. Caden Sanders on the on the punt return, but just yeah. make sure that we just control that that field position. And I mean, at the beginning of the game, being pinned back, and I mean, again, kudos to Iowa, but I wasn't too concerned. It's just some of the lumps that you take at the beginning of the game. And then your defensive guy, Justin, I, I was kind of I kind of jotted down just that um, they were like Drew Aller seven to seven to start the game. And it might have been even better than that, but that was at least what I had written down. Uh, but it was kind of like it was like an annoying seven for seven because it felt like I was kind of like playing safeties back, just like letting them get everything underneath, just like trying not to let because you know you let up that big explosive play at the beginning of the game, the crowd's going to be up here for the whole time. But uh, what did you see from Iowa defensively, kind of the way they started out uh, tonight? Well, we mentioned it earlier in the week where they're the type of defense that they play and it's going to be up to the decision-making of Drew Aller throughout the game and not get anxious from taking the dink and dunk passes, right? Those four or five horizontal type of throws and not getting too greedy and forcing it into the zones to where create where uh, turnovers are created. And so for him to stay within his pocket and stay within his, uh, his reason on the pass and giving them what the defense provided – or what the defense allowed him, I think that shows a, a tremendous, I don't say growth, but something that fans can be assured of moving forward of how he can be patient within the pocket and understand and take what the defense gives him. And they put drives and held uh, the possession of the ball throughout the game to show that they can do it from a, a sustained point of, point of time. And um, so with that, I think that's, that's what I was paying attention to because some, essentially when we, when, as a defensive player, when you have that where quarterbacks, quarterbacks get tired of throwing the short one, short ball here or there, especially ones with elite arm talent like Drew, because then they want to want to show it off. They want to get chunk plays. But he started doing it later in the game and taking the opportunities to throw it down the field when they came. And especially, I like, again, I love getting the tight ends involved, whether it was the slip screens and getting Theo um, moving and, uh, mismatch opportunities with the linebackers, really getting that middle of the field exploited from the past game um, perspective is is critical. And I think they did that early as well. Yeah, and that was nice to see on, on the offensive side. You know, I don't like to, you know, I don't want to make you dump on them too bad. And this Penn State defense did play lights out, but man, that Iowa offense, I, in my, I, I'll speak for myself, they're as bad as advertised. They're really bad. I know they got the whole deal. They got to average 25 points a game or Kirk Ferentz's son gets fired after this year. They're, they're as bad. I mean, 
Penn State defense did a lot tonight, but early on, that that, that offense is as bad as people say. It really is. It's funny because when we used to judge football games or how the average or casual fan would evaluate a football game is based on the quarterback play. And that was tonight was an example of that. Not to, like you said, not to drag on off Iowa's offense too much, but it's just hard to watch, right? It feels like they said, yeah. it feels like they set offenses back a few, a few years. Um, but again, kudos, they were playing an elite defense at the same time. And Daryl Clark gave some keys to victory with K with uh, Kay McNamara having the quad injury coming uh, coming back from a quad injury last couple of weeks or dealing with it since the summer and how the Penn State defense can attack them. And I feel like we saw that when the opportunities came where it was pass-only situations, like they were really starting to get pressure on the quarterbacks. Obviously, it wasn't – it's not a top-tier offense, but being able to continue to get that pressure, get – um make the quarterback uncomfortable throughout the whole game. I mean, I think it showed, like you said, five for 14, 42 yards, three yards of completion. That's, 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 that's not a stat line that you want from a quarterback, but that is definitely a stat line that you want from a defense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, it was, you know, if you're, if you're Manny Diaz tonight, you're, you know, you're, you're pretty happy, but man, I mean, they just, it was, it was brutal. And then, like, as far as scheme-wise from Penn State, like, did you see anything different? It seemed like they were kind of uh, content to play man early on, and then the crowd obviously shook it up a little bit, put Iowa in difficult positions. I mean, you got to give the crowd credit, too. I mean, they just they just changed the game up so much. A hundred percent. I think they caused a turn. I mean, not a turnover, but a, a, a timeout early, and there was a delay game um, yep. penalty. But uh, kudos to the defensive I mean, the energy and the hustle that they played with, again, like turnovers from hustle plays like that, Dennis Denasa and turnover early was, I mean, it was impressive to me because it was just, it's like poetry in motion. You see the guy running, you, you shoot your shot, gets the knees, and then the next thing you know, the, the pursuit gets there and knocks the ball out at the end. So to see the defense making plays and turnovers like that from everybody that steps out there, I, you want them to continue to play with that type of effort, that type of speed throughout the throughout the season. But again, not against the the greatest offense in the, in the land. But it was again a, a, a nice win for the whiteout for the whiteout game for us. Other notes I had, um, it was funny on that kind of failed trick play, the one where Aller is, you know, they tried to do a double pass. You can see Aller in frame, just so mad at that that, that play didn't work. And then, like, they're, they're kind of, like, dumping on it on the broadcast about whether it was an incomplete pass or um, – which, obviously, they ruled it as one or a fumble. And it was actually really lucky that they did rule it incomplete. But I just thought – I, I jotted down. It was so great to just see it come right back on the punt, goes off the Iowa guy, you know, Penn State jumps on it. And I don't know. I felt like from there that's kind of where Penn State started to separate a little bit and really uh, put the Hawkeyes on their heels. Yeah, the ball bounced Penn State's way uh, a few times, and that's kudos to a good team. That's a heads-up play by Curtis Jacobs seeing the ball bounce off and jumping on top of it as he's come down, covering the kick. But, I mean, again, that's football, night game, in the rain. You never really know how the ball is going to bounce, but just making sure that you take advantage and make those routine plays routinely, and you have good outcomes. Like, that's what football is. Like, I think those, like, the routine and fundamental plays don't always hit the highlights, but it makes or breaks teams. And I think that's what we saw today from Penn State. They played a really sound fundamental 
uh, football game. Back to offense for a sec. Uh, one thing I love, and again, I mean, you can you can help me with this, Justin. Like, I don't know. I watch a lot of football, and if you have a six foot four quarterback like Drew Aller, why wouldn't you, in short yardage, every play, just do the Eagles tush push, whatever you want to call it, like that play where they, I, I think it was Warren in motion, might have been Johnson one or two times, where they just get under Drew and just drive him forward on fourth and one. I think they got eight yards on one of them. Like, like, why wouldn't you do that as an offense? Just keep doing it. Uh, I mean, in short yardage. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Sometimes. I mean, I, I, I understand that it makes sense. Uh, but then you got to also protect your quarterback, and then you get just different type of shots that he could take, and depending on how that how, how that goes. But I mean, it's not. It's, that's a fair. That's a fair opinion. I just, you know, it's it, the aesthetic of smart. it is. You got to be smart about it. But on fourth and one in those short yardage situations. Yeah, be aggressive and take advantage of it and make it an identity thing, right? When it's like, okay, we're tougher than you. If you can't get a yard, then we have a problem. And like you're 100 percent right, having a six four, two hundred and forty pound quarterback, there should be no reason why you can't get a yard. <laughs> yeah, is it in any situation? I, I, you could be going against any defense. Um, sure. Like so that that was uh, something I had noted. I'm sure they'll keep going back to it. But man, it's it's fun when you have a six four quarterback. You can just do that. No, for, yeah, no, absolutely. And then uh, to me, I kind of touched on it earlier, but you know, the last time you and I talked after that Delaware game, like you know, you're when you're playing an FCS team, and I'm talking about those teams different, you kind of take it with a grain of salt. When you go against a defense like this, uh, it was really it was that drive at the start of the second quarter. You know, they they kind of had a you know a, a so-so start in the first quarter and change, but then you know they're able to they're able to get the touchdown in the one, um, like you mentioned at Dinkins and it was cool to see him get his first touchdown. But another sign to me that this team is different. I, I feel like in past years, that's a field goal and it's six, nothing instead of 10. And the game has a totally different mode when it's a one score game. And then you go up 10, nothing like that on an offense that can't, you know, put a drive together. Like that's the, to me, that's the difference with this team. I don't know if you agree. Like that's where I see this team. And I think they can be special when they're doing stuff like that. No, it goes down to those critical moments and critical plays to have seven points instead of three in the red zone. I mean, that was a, that was an incredible strike by Drew on that pass. He extended the play. Uh, Khalil's working the back end line. And he just drills it in there. I mean, there's talent involved in that play, and then there's like those are the little, little minute things that separates good and great teams. So, like, I think you're a hundred percent right about the conversion rate in the red zone being one of those things that separates this team and different ways of getting in the end zone, right? We're talking about being able to throw it to the tight ends, being able to run it in, being able to bring the quarterback sneak into play, having two dynamic running backs, the T formation is something that we continue to institute within that, that low red zone area. Those are areas where you have to take full advantage and convert and score touchdowns. And that's, I mean, it goes hand in hand with having a great defense. The whole game of football, you know, works like a symphony. Everything kind of works together as you continue to move along. And that is another piece. And the turnover margin, I think, is something to point out that this team has been excelling at just across the board. Yeah, they've just been tremendous with the turnovers. It's actually where I was going to go next. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> they forced four Iowa fumbles tonight. Isaac recovers one. Curtis Jacobs recovers two, one on special teams, but still. And then Fisher recovers another one. That group, 
I, I just I can't say enough good things about them defensively. And the way, like you said, like good teams make their own luck and the way that they were opportunistic tonight is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, because again, I was they a poor a poor offense didn't give that many opportunities to just, I mean, say take the ball. But when we when we talk about just hustling and creating turnovers from a fumbling standpoint, that's a that's an attitude and a mentality, like you said, from creating turnover from that standpoint. And that's that's encouraging to see as a defensive player. Like that's the type of defense that you want to have and that plays late into the season. And uh, and we talked about the D-line, like we mentioned uh, earlier. I, I had notes about them, too, and you were kind of talking about it. You know, Denny Sutton, Adisa Isaac, and Chop Robinson. I mean, I don't know how I got into the 20-minute mark of this podcast without mentioning the name Chop Robinson. It's just no, fun he, watching him play every week. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's a – He's a he's a weapon on defense, and when you have guys that can put pressure on the quarterback at any given moment, that's it's imperative. And like the key to that is having those opportunities where he can pin his ears back and actually go get the quarterback. I mean, just in the college game, it's different. You see the quick passes. Sometimes it's hard to get pass rushers involved, and so you stop the run. And they did a good job with that today. I mean, seventeen rushes, twenty yards up like a yard of carry that gives you the ability to see pass rushers at work so I th- that's why we I mean get to see the prowess of um adisa isaac dennis and obviously chop penn state fans smack apparel has the best gear for talking smack on game day head to smackapparel.com today and check out their let there be white tea also there's drink up roar on saturdays we are and you can still get a save a couch beat wvu shirt if you're watching this on youtube scan the qr code on the screen to take you to the website instantly on your phone visit smackapparel.com and use our promo code state 10 at checkout for 10 percent off your order that's s-t-a-t-e-1-0 again that's smackapparel.com promo code state 10 at checkout why wear boring when you can wear smack are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care then maestro's classic is perfect for you maestro's has beard washes beard oils beard butters plus hair gels pomades and now body washes it's one brand for every man visit maestrosclassic.com that's M-A-E-S-T-R-O-S classic.com and use our promo code STATE20. That's S-T-A-T-E-2-0 at checkout for 20% off your order. Maestro's Classic, crafting a better you. And uh, we were talking about the pass rush, just the way that they put their impact on this game. We kind of finished talking about the first half. Uh, second half, I, I, I kind of jotted it down, Justin. Like the first drive of that second half on third down, you know, and at that point in the game, I think it was 17 nothing coming out of the break. I'll double check that real quick. Um, yeah, it was yeah, 10 or 10 nothing rather. And so, you know, the game could kind of still go either way. You were feeling good about it at the half, but you weren't like a hundred percent. And then they have back to back third and sevens. Uh Drew Aller finds uh Keandre Lambert Smith on the first one, and Katron Allen runs for the other. It's just amazing, like the proficiency. You talked about Mike Gersich earlier in the pod. Like, what do you kind of see from them on third down on offense that kind of separates them and they just find the success? Honestly, I think it's the diversity of play calls on third down. I, you never know exactly which way they're going to attack the 
the defense, whether it's like the levels concept, whether it's a, a running play, whether it's a nice slip screen, whether it's an isolation on a, a, a inside receiver or a tight end. I think that has been the unique thing that we've seen on third down um, versus previous years where you've kind of like, oh, we know what's going to happen. Or it's like, why do we run that play? I feel like when we, even when we do not get it on third down, it's like a safe, like, okay, let's, let's see, let's go back to the drawing board and see what, see what we can do. But the diversity of how we get that first down on those third and three to six manageable um, type of situations has been like telling to me. And I think that just speaks to the weapons that Penn state has and the ability to win different type of ways. And I also had it written down like to that point about on offense, I lo- like the, the amount of play action they're running. I think Gary Danielson pointed it out on the CBS broadcast at one point, like, you know, they go out of the power eye at times, like they're running play action. Like they just totally kept that Iowa defense on their toes, uh, bringing guys in motion, but the play action in particular, in the second half, I felt like, is a big thing. No, like again, like everything is like is a setup, like like chess. You have to be able to threaten them with the run for the play action to work. I mean, because to come out and just run play action without any threat of the run game, it doesn't really do anything for you, especially a team like Iowa that has sound linebackers that are going to read their keys and make sure things are happening. So you have to threaten them with um you know two dynamic running backs and be able to incorporate the play action incorporate slip screens with the tight end isolate the outside receivers and do all those different things on your offense to attack dynamic defenses and that's something that i think even for teams moving forward it's like hard to prepare for when you're going into your third down preparation period it's like okay this we got to beat on what this team does on third down even I've been, I don't want to say critical, but I've mentioned the lack of identity at times, but there's been a benefit of the dichotomy that he, of play calling that he draws up on third down and how he decides to come approach the offense. It was, it kind of reminds me of Shanahan back in the day where he used to say like each week was like a flavor of the week. And it was like, you never really yeah. knew something like a boot run whole playbook out of one formation. And next week it's a whole different formation based on what you're looking at. And that's the ability and the charisma that you want to like to see out of an offensive coordinator. I mean, it's not really always about, you know, the analytics and the X's and O's. I mean, I mean, the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and Joe's and making sure that you can bring your charisma and put them in different matchup situations to exploit the defense. And I feel like he's been doing a good job. I mean, Penn State's been doing a good job with that on offense and especially Mike from calling the plays. Yeah, and it just felt like like they get in that that drive coming out of the half. Um, in the early third quarter, the one where they the touchdown drive where Tyler Warren is wide open. I mean, you and I could have caught that ball. Though that's those are the hardest balls to catch when you are that open. <laughs> that's what I've been told. But uh, they go 15 play. They go 75 yards, 6:40 off the clock. 15 plays. They're they're lined up in the power eye on that touchdown, and then w- they just find War- Warren just like kind of like sinks past everyone's wide open. Like it was just beautiful to watch. Like you call, you talked about it being a symphony. And every time I watch this offense so far, when they when they can kind of put it together on a good drive, it feels that way. And it's just like stuff like that when they when they're able to scheme you up like that, run seven minutes off the clock and go up seventeen nothing. That was kind of the backbreaker. No, I mean those are demoralizing to defenses to get tired of being out there and then be able to put a drive together, make the right pass, make the right uh, play calls, and just being 
efficient when it comes to executing the plays, it's a backbreaker. I mean, and especially when, like you say, you're capping off the drives with, with touchdowns or even points in, in general and just not forcing them to punt. I mean, you saw that early in the game with Penn State against Iowa where it was like the first five drives, like punt, 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 fumble, punt, 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 turnover. That's hard for our offense. And you've seen the, the, like, again, the time of possession and just the the play count from team to team and how that ends up suffocating just all your juice from a team like Iowa. I mean, we, we saw it. I mean, 31 nothing. It looked like, again, it looked like Anaconda just strangling out uh, his prey throughout the game. So I, I like those type of victories. <laughs> I do too. When my team is on the delivering end of it and not the right. receiving end, it is, it is nice. I got to ask, like, just random question I thought of with that weather, but the way, like, second quarter on, it got like pretty rainy and it looked pretty wet. Like, are those, they kind of talked about how those are like the worst type of games to play in as a player. Like, how do you like, would you rather play in like a snow, like a snow game, cold game, or like, are those kind of games that's like 50 and rainy the hardest? Hell, hell no. I'm not, I don't want any of that. I like, that. <laughs> I need a fast track all the time, man. So I don't want any rain. I don't want any snow. But when you play against a team like Iowa, I'm sure that they do. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a corner skill position guy. I like, the game, the age of football, whereas I mean, speed, uh, speed and violence out there, and to be able to do that, I mean, I think a fast track, a, a clean, a surface, warm um, temperature is what you would like to play in. But I mean, like you said, fifty degrees, a nice drizzle, and especially when you're have adva- you have the advantage on your side, I think it's, it's some good football weather. But um, nah, keep me out of the rain and the snow. <laughs> Is there any like of but of those like is there one you hate more than the other like do you like or does it kind of feel the same when when it's when it's coming down uh, like that? Light snow is okay. Rain, all type of rain is bad. I don't I don't like okay. the rain at all. You know, <laughs> your your shoes get waterlogged. You got to break. I mean, play again, playing corner. So I'm like everything's a reactionary type of right. movement. So got to stay within your base and you know guys guys have to run routes they know where you're going you don't know where they're going so uh, just a disadvantage but the snow's not too bad yeah no it's uh i'm, I'm sure like i said i'm sure you get used to it but at a skill position i just had to ask because it like i'm like man this weather probably stinks to play in if you're like not a lineman so <laughs> yeah it does it, it sucks <laughs> all right let's keep talking uh, about the second half i also made a note and I feel like we mentioned we mentioned it after the Delaware game when you and I talked, but the way that Aller, as a sophomore, stays so poised in the pocket, knows when to step up, is so composed. And again, like I don't want to be in a dead horse here, but like the way he does it against a good defense and one that was kind of moving the pocket around on him a little bit. Like, how amazed are you still that we're at game four now? And, and we're still talking about, you know, I'm still bringing up how good he is with that, with that type of stuff. I mean, I'm not amazed. He showed nice poise, and, I mean, he's been consistent with his poise from the time he played last year. So I think we're just seeing the maturity in his game and just having more snaps under his belt. And, again, kudos to the OC for giving him uh, some nice play calling, some nice play call, calling management, right, not putting him in bad situations, giving him opportunities for incomplete uh, incompletions or um, – incompletions are completions and not just putting things in 
harm's way or turnover type of opportunities and Drew making the right decision. I think what we're seeing is his decision-making skills, something that I think that is stuck out, stuck out early um, throughout his career here at Penn State, and that's a telltale sign for a quarterback of a winning football team. We take care of the football, and that in accordance or just that combined with my Gearsish understanding and them growing together within this offense, understanding the different weapons that they can use and how they can use them. I think we're just going to continue to see the stock rise on that whole uh, situation between OC and quarterback here at Penn state. It's just beautiful. That's amazing. Um, I just, I hope to, I hope you're right. And I think we will. Especially when and we'll talk about some of their upcoming opponents here in a minute. We got about ten minutes left. Uh, I just, yeah, the way that they just kind of are in are simpatico is amazing to me. Um, yeah, go ahead, Justin. No, yeah, I mean, even we, like it's, it's it's like it was just an efficient day, right? I'm looking, I'm trying to look for his stats again. It's 25 for 37, 166, and five, like you know, like you said, five yards a attempt isn't anything to just be like oh my god but to have that level of patience and to make those decisions that shows a poise and maturity as a quarterback from a young guy essentially that's operating at a high level four touchdowns and again no interceptions against a top tier run defense yeah that's that's something that you can start banking your hat on and another guy you can bake your hat on. I wrote three separate notes about him in my notes app. Uh, and I met him, I brought him up earlier as Chop Robinson. I, I, I got to give the defense some love. He has that strip sack, gets the ball back for Penn State uh, in the second half. It felt like he was making so many plays and they kept saying his name. I'm just curious, like individually from him, as a guy on a defensive side of the ball, what do you see? Like, why do you think he's such a special player the way he makes an impact on a game? Well, I think he's he's an explosive player, right? Anytime that you have a defensive end that can have the ability to be very bendy and rangy coming off the edge, he creates mismatches against a lot of offensive linemen that he probably plays against. Plays with great pad level. He's, like I said, explosive, but he's also strong. So, I mean, again, when he's given the ability to go after the quarterback, he does a great job doing that. And I think Adisa Isaac does as well. I mean, he's, he's, he shows some freaky qualities or freaky traits when he comes off the edge and just ter- in terms of um, his, uh, like it's just his bend, his leverage that he's able to play with at that type, having the type of twitch that he has at, at, at the length that they both have. So just in terms of twitch, explosiveness, and just lateral movement between those guys, you're just dealing with a different level of athletes and you're talking about like big guys that could move that way. I mean, it's imperative to have one of top tier defense on the edges. I mean, you look at just the in the past, like guys that have gone high in the draft. I mean, I don't remember what the count was last year, but you're taking like you know six six to eight DNs in the first in the first round because those guys are premiums in the game of football. You can you can attack the quarterback um, at a consistent clip with rushing four guys. It's it changes the dynamic and what you can do on defense. And for Penn State to continue to crank up the pressure in that area will be extremely beneficial. Yeah, it, it's, it's been amazing. Yeah. Like to your point, they, they just, it seems that they're able to do it in all these different types of games, different situations, and hopefully they can keep it going down the stretch here, uh, which we're, which I think we could talk about Are You, did you have any last thoughts on this game before we kind of talk about 
the next couple of weeks and uh, uh, anything like that. Just happy everybody got out uh, safe and sound in these type of messy games right. and, and physical football games for um, for not to have any serious major injuries on both sides is a is a great thing. But yeah, I think we can continue move on to the next one. A very dominating performance on both sides of the ball. Sound fundamentally um, good football game. And next week, really no reason it shouldn't continue. The Nittany Lions will go to Northwestern. Noon kickoff. I imagine they're going to put this on the deepest TV network they can find. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sure they will bury it in the cable guide. But they, um, you know, I think they kind of have it in front of them now. As you kind of look ahead, you go to Northwestern next week. They get the bye. They host UMass at home. I think I made the joke on the Delaware episode. They're probably the first team in college football to get a double bye because that UMass game is just timed up perfectly before they go to Columbus. Um, I got asked, did you see any of the Ohio State Notre Dame game tonight? Did you have two screens going or were you locked in on uh, the Penn State game? I was pretty much locked in on the Penn State game. Uh, I flipped back and forth, but not enough to see. It seemed like they, they, they pulled it off, right? They ended up it did. The, I, I think it was uh, Chip Trayan, uh, and I might have gotten his name wrong, but uh, they ran it in. They, choose, they, they had three seconds left on the one-yard line, and Ohio State runs it in uh, for the game-winning touchdown. Uh, they kicked the extra point, which is controversial to some people who may have been uh, gambling on the on the game. So uh, <laughs> that, that might have mattered to a lot of people. But, yeah, they uh, they run it in with three seconds left uh, when everyone's expecting them to throw to Marvin Harrison or Ibuka. Crazy ending. Yeah, no, I actually did not see it. I was locked in on the Penn State game even um, as it got out of hand. I wanted to see some of the backups get in and how they performed. But, no, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see Ohio State. We'll see them coming up here pretty shortly. Were, were there any, to that point, were there any backups uh, that surprised you that you thought stood out in your mind late in that game? Surprised me? No, I think Kevin Winston is continuing to show up week in and week out at that safety position and because continue making himself a staple in, in BC and out there. Um, uh, who else? Um, Ryan Fisher he continues to make like again plays where he's showing up. I mean, in the defensive line, I'm mean, yep. again, like we just talking about that pass rush, and we're just getting into those opportunities where we can see guys get an opportunity to make plays when we're not playing defense against other team where they're just managing the offense. And it's just like, all right, let's see, give the give, let's take what the defense gives us and see special players start to come out. I mean, I th I think just the way that the games are continuing to uh, flow, we'll see more of that moving forward here. Yeah, and to that point, so, I mean, they go to Evanston next week, a game that I think is going to be probably at least 65% Penn State fans, a lot of people in Chicago. It's an easy road game to get to, probably the easiest of the year, considering where some of these Big Ten cities are located. Uh, how do you, you know, how do you expect, how do you kind of hope that'll look next week now when they go to Evanston? Again, they're probably going to be up a lot in the first half. Like, how excited are you to see some of those guys on the back end uh, hopefully get some significant play? Well, they got to make, make sure that they come out on fire because Evanston is actually a hard place to play just based on being at a level 10 at a whiteout. And this is going to be like <laughs> level one, two, maybe 1.5 coming out. And it's just like make sure that, that you don't have a slip in in focus and execution um, up there just based on the environment being uh, very calm. 
Let's, <laughs> let's say so that's my that's my concern with them going up there. But if they go out there and just perform in the way that they need to and jump on them early, I think it should be over pretty quick. I remember when Penn State played there uh, once and during my four years. It's like playing there for football is almost like playing at Penn State for basketball. It's like it's such a underwhelming, you know, at, at that time, it was such an underwhelming atmosphere that you almost lulled teams to sleep, you know, especially <laughs> like a noon kick. It's going to be probably the good news is it'll probably be 65, I think even 70% Penn State fans. So, I mean, do you think that helps at all? Just having like that traveling support and at least yeah, trying to wake you up a little bit? I don't know, man. A noon again, a noon kick. Our our fans might still be recovering from this weekend. I mean, a noon kick means eleven a.m. eleven a.m. kickoff in Chicago. So that's a yep. I started tailgate at you know eight thirty nine o'clock. You get right in there after the bacon egg and cheese sandwiches. But um, I again the, the thing is coming out with your your hair on fire and making sure that it's this one's not a trap game again just based on that atmosphere that law and atmosphere is something that's very serious especially after playing in a whiteout game like Penn State I mean not at Penn State but against Iowa at Penn State so that's that's one thing I'll keep my eye on making sure that they just don't make it a a closer game than it needs to be. Yeah, don't play with your food, as I call it, uh, you know, in some of those games. Um, and that's I think that's the challenge these next two games, really. So it's like because it's like you have the bye in the middle and then, you know, Northwestern UMass are opponents you could look past. But just, you know, making sure you, you know, respect your opponent and, you know, do that sort of stuff and just kind of take care of business. And I, I feel like this team will. I feel like they're different. And to me, yeah, I think they like. That, that's kind of the difference in this team. They just show up, they handle business, and then they kind of keep moving. No, and that's that's what you want because you don't want to you don't really want to roller coaster throughout the whole season. You want that continuous growth um week to week. And I think we're seeing that, especially with that one and one to know mentality that they continue to take in uh to games. Yeah, and Penn State fans certainly know what it's like to when it's up and down. All right, uh, we're going to wrap up in a second here, but my last question for you, Justin. Have your expectations changed? Obviously, they, I can't imagine they've gone down. Have they changed at all? I think I was saying 10 and 2 at the beginning of the year. I think I'm ready to think they, that this team can go 11 and 1 and split those Ohio State and Michigan games. As far as season long stuff, have your expectations changed uh, with what you've seen so far? No, they haven't. I was always in that 11, 11 and 1, 12 and 0 type of train um, from the beginning and just the ability that they do have uh, and just the pieces across the board when you look at just question marks and check marks and check pluses just in terms of personnel and matchups that their teams that they're going against. They have a, a good chance to run the table that the way they see fit, at least that they control that they're, they control their own destiny. I don't think there's a game that they need to go into worrying if the if the sky falls or tornado hits the right way for for a victory or like when you said in the, the last whiteout game that you went to when you know grant blocked the the field goal i don't think there's a a game on the schedule where i mean it could come down to that but where you're hoping for that to happen for us to win right. i think every single one from a fundamental standpoint have a chance to be victorious and with that i mean I feel good each week going into it. I do. I do too. 
I really do with this team. All right. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for us here tonight. I know it's getting late on the East Coast, Justin. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm out in the mountains, so it's not too bad here. Uh, when, uh, when can folks expect to see you guys back on previewing this Northwestern game? Well, we will be back on next Wednesday. All right. Next Wednesday, so, yeah, get it right. Sweet. That'll do it. Uh, Justin King, Zach Kaplan here. The State of State podcast, Penn State victorious, and yet another Penn State whiteout. It was a glorious sight to see. Hope you all enjoyed it, and we'll see you back here next time on the State of State podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.